All right. Now? God damn it. We are recording. <laughs> I can't say it without laughing for some reason. It's just so formal. There's just something about it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. I know. But it like doesn't make a noise. Like in Zoom, it's like, you are being recorded. Like, right. We don't have that. <laughs> so I have to announce that I'm <laughs> that we're recording. Yes, that is true. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Gatecrasher Podcast. I'm Kenny, he, him. And I am David, he, him. And we believe that tabletop gaming is for everyone and that gatekeeping, limiting access to information and participation, is the domain of the knave and the fool. (laughs) We hope through uh, sharing our experiences and enthusiasm, we can get conversations started and crash through the proverbial gates that may be holding you back from getting into the world of tabletop gaming. Be sure to follow us and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on if you want to hear some more and have something to say. Today, the conversation is going to be about the Soulbound, sorry, Warhammer, colon, Age of Sigmar, colon. Yes. (laughs) Soulbound. Come on. (laughs) Get it right. (laughs) I actually need to see it. Yeah. So, oh, war. Wow. Okay. Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, roleplay. Soulbound. Holy shit! Is the full is the full title wow. just on the cover of the book? But wow. yeah, this is the if you haven't guessed, this is the <laughs> the role playing game for the Age of Sigmar property from Games Workshop. Yes. But before we get into that, let's talk about games played. Yeah. Ah, oh, games played indeed. So uh, we're wrapping up our Monster Hearts game which is I'm a little sad about. Single tier? Single tier. Sad. But it has been, honestly, one of the best gaming experiences in recent memory for me. I have Mm -hmm. absolutely loved it. I think, obviously, part of that is down to the game itself, but it's also just down to the alchemy of our group, our awesome MC, a.k.a. Game Master, a.k.a. my wife Desiree. But I'd be saying this even if she wasn't my wife. That's right. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe we can have her on the show to talk a little bit more about her approach to running games. But I think this is also indicative of another broader topic that I can add to the list, which is the alchemy of a gaming group and why that's so important. Because, yeah, I think, I don't know. It's just been a really great experience and a very necessary one nowadays. So... Anyway, that's my little uh, shout out to Monster Hearts again, because I won't have many more opportunities to talk about it. We're doing a last <laughs> session next Sunday. So, oh. yeah. But uh, other than that, I finished painting my Gene Stealer Cult army last mm-hmm. night, which was super exciting. So I now have two Amazing. Warhammer 40,000 slash Grimdark Future armies ready to go. Big. Yeah, it is. It's a long, that's a long-standing goal of mine. And, and I, in retrospect, I'm not entirely sure why I just stopped right at the finish line. I had literally two more <laughs> figures to paint and I just <laughs> let them hang out for weeks without doing anything yeah. about it. And then it was so anticlimactic because they were actually pretty easy to paint. And I finished it and I was just like, huh, okay, there it is. I guess that's that. So... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but in the meantime, I now I'm hyped. I talked about 
painting my Anglo Danes for Dark Ages gaming, but also pretty hyped on getting into painting some old school Grenadier miniatures for Fantasy Warriors. Oh. They just have so much character to them. I cannot wait to get into it. Yeah, that's going to be super exciting to watch that journey unfold. Yeah, and you know, there's there's an open slot for Wood Elves if you're interested. Just saying. I'm in. <laughs> I'll send you some resources. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So how about yourself? Obviously, Monster Hearts. Obviously, Monster Hearts. And I don't typically talk about Monster Hearts on the podcast. I don't know why. Because I've been having such a... I, I guess because you say Monster Hearts. Yeah, no I take up all the space. down on it. Right? I can spread all over Monster <laughs> Hearts, basically. Right. No, no space left for you. So I apologize. That's okay. I appreciate it. But yeah, we're finishing up Monster Hearts. This was a game... In fact, if you go early back into the beginning of the podcast, nine or so episodes ago, there was a minute where I was like, oh, maybe I'll play Monster Hearts one day. And I ended up playing in this campaign because I wasn't sure about I wasn't I'm not super familiar with the genre of the monster mm-hmm. teen yeah. genre. I don't know what you would call that. Supernatural um, romance, I believe, is what it's called. There you go. Yeah, yeah. Supernatural romance kind of thing. But yeah, I just hit the ground running and it was a huge I don't want to say leap of faith, but it was like a big it was a big step for me to just like branch out into a genre that I was unfamiliar with. Yeah. And I've been having a lot of fun. Everybody's been great. And I'm also, I'm sad that the game is ending, but I'm also not sad that the game is ending. It's just Mm, been, it's been great and it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to go on, go on anymore. I think everything is tidied up or there's exciting possibilities to unravel in a potential season two. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's very much that sort of BBC style approach to TV series where it's just, we're not just going to keep this going for the sake of keeping it going. And I think all of us have done a good job anticipating that there was going to be a finite end and working towards that so that it feels appropriate. I think all of us are on board with that. But yeah, I I guess my single tier was just for the fact that who knows when we'll get have a chance to get back to it because we have so many other games (laughs) on our queue, right? We've got this spreadsheet with 18 freaking games on it or something. (laughs) Not that we're going to play all of them, but there's so many to choose from that it's, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. I'm sure we'll get to it. And on the wargaming front, I got more minis. I got, I think last time I was somewhere around, (laughs) I don't know, who knows, 2,000 unpainted models or whatever. Well, I'm probably a little over that. I did get some painted. I got some Mark III Space Wolves painted. I got a unit of five missile launcher guys. And and a friend of mine gave me 10 more Mark VI models because he had a bunch of Mark VI beakies is what we like to call them because they look like they have little beaks on their helmets. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, So I got 10 more of those. And then a friend last night when I played Age of Sigmar to great effect, I got another. He just brought over a big spaceship and gave it to me. So Yeah, yeah. A little, uh, I don't know, land speeder or something, right? Yeah, Long Fang is what it's called. I don't know much about it, but it's a Space Wolf particular ship. So I'm excited to paint it. Long Fang was my nickname back in high school. There you go. Yeah. Cool. That's cool. And I want to also commend you on having the strength of will and moral character to say, sorry, I cannot accept this turnip. Uh, what is it? What is it? Turnip. Uh, yeah, turnip 28. So, turnip 28. <laughs> 
72. <laughs> Turn of 28 army that was very kindly offered to you by one of our listeners. But um, yes, I know that Shout must have been hard. It really was. Our beautiful listeners, thank you so much. Yeah, this person in our Discord, their turnip armies are incredible. So yeah, turning one down was definitely a big, hard decision that I had to make. That's well, called growth. It's uh, called growth. It is. In the fact that I my collection has grown so large <laughs> that I have nowhere to put painted models. I'm afraid to... I'm afraid to finish a model because I may not have a place to put it. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> so I'm eagerly awaiting my wife to run up to the nearest Ikea, which is seven hours away, so she can buy me some more display cases. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the only possible solution. Why does she have to do it? Why can't you do it? I don't know. She was planning on going up there anyway. Oh, okay. Friend of hers. Yeah. Okay. So. <laughs> I would go myself, but she's already planning the trip. Honey, can you do a two-day round trip to get me some display shelves, please? Yeah, can you rent a truck? (laughs) You got a strong back. Yeah. Can you schlep these display shelves, flat packs around? That'd be great. Lord. Thank you. Oh, speaking of our beautiful listeners. Yes. We got a new patron at the Patreon. Wow. So shout out to Matt. I don't know if we read last names on here, but Matt, thanks, Matt, for your generous donation. If you want to back us on Patreon. Thank you. Yeah. And if you want to do it, listener, you certainly can at patreon.com slash gatecrasherpod, where we're going to have some really interesting Patreon-only stuff coming up really soon, because David and I are both working on a lot of projects. I think we're just going to end up dumping them all on the Patreon for some time and then maybe shift them all towards YouTube eventually. Yeah, I think they should eventually see the light of day. For right now, they're going to live on Patreon. And yeah, I'm going to do a overview of my sand table project with some video mm-hmm. and photos and stuff and just and talk about how I did it and how I'm liking it so far. And then, yeah, we're talking about doing a deep dive on the capitalist and colonialist elements of Dungeons & Dragons. So that'll be mm-hmm. super spicy. That'll be like level 10 spice in your pad thai <laughs> level That's right. Blazing hot. Blazing hot. It'll be as hot coming out <laughs> as it was going in. And uh, I don't know, Kenny, what, you work on anything for the Patreon? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe I'll try to figure something out. You can give us a, a or, full tour of your insane, unpainted pile of, pos- of potential. Yeah. Outrageous. Uh, yeah. We'll figure something out. We'll figure something out, I'm sure. Yeah, if there's something, if you're listening to this episode and you want to hear or see something from David and I, just let us know. We'll do behind it. the scenes, do whatever you stuff. want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're easy. Yeah, do whatever you want. Just let us know. Just validate us, please. Thank you. <laughs> Anyways, speaking of listeners, I think we have a uh, call from beyond. <laughs> Get All right, hold on. Do that again. That way I'm not laughing and giggling over it. <laughs> I don't know. Getting reverbs on your giggles, is, there's nothing wrong with that. Okay, that's true. All right, yeah. that's fine then. Yeah, let's listen to that call from beyond. <laughs> Outrageous. Hey, it's Rainy. I was listening to your RPG safety tools episode, and I really liked it. Um, there's a lot of really cool crossover Um with how these things come from and overlap with education and teaching regulation, feedback loops, boundary setting. So I thought it would be cool to talk 
and maybe mention modeling, um, since so many of your listeners are new to the hobby, um, what if you're at a table where these things are not norms and people aren't honest or open or willing maybe to give some negative feedback when they need to, things like that. And so being the person that demonstrates these skills, doing it first, saying your own lines and fails, giving your own positive and critical feedback are really important to bringing these norms to your table and making it just part of the culture of your group. Bye. That was a really good point. Not so much question, but point. Yeah. And yeah, I think something I, for one, took for granted because I'm used to being in groups where everyone's on the same page with safety tools. You just, you mention it and everyone goes, yep, sounds good. Or as the GM, I mean that, I think at the end of the day, when you're talking about modeling, oftentimes it's the GM who takes point on that, right? Who is the one who's coming to the group and saying, listen, we're going to do the X card for this. And, but I've definitely seen, um, situations where somebody in a, as a player has spoken up. And in fact, the first time I ever heard the term stars and, and wishes was in a, a playtest session that was running that pulled some people off of your Discord, Kenny, and then at the end, one was like, hey, can we do stars and wishes? And I'm like, the what? The who with the what now? So not only is it a good way to model things, but it's also just a good way to familiarize people with these very concepts because they may not even heard of it. But yeah, I think I, these days, of course, I don't really game with folks that I don't know, but that changes over time. And certainly if I'm in a convention game as a player, especially, that's an awesome opportunity to model some of that behavior. Yeah, really good point. Thank you. Man, yeah, for I agree. There's when it comes to modeling, it really just comes down to being OK with being the first person to mention it. I, there's a yeah, just being like hey, I want to talk about this. Let's go ahead and talk about it. Or if there's anything anyone wants to say, chime in. Feel free to chime in. Or piggyback on you know, what I'm saying. Feel free to disagree with me. It's just about opening the doors for that conversation. I think that's the big part that a lot of people will have trouble getting into if they have a group that they're that's not familiar with these kinds of safety tools or just opening up that line of dialogue. It's a lot of just being okay with being the person to open the door. And the first step is always the hardest. Isn't that what they say? That is what they say. And it's funny too, because I think safety tools are built around this idea of like comfort, like right. facilitating an atmosphere of comfort and ease because a lot of the things that safety tools revolve around are things that are hard to bring up at the table and, mm -hmm. or even hard to ask for, like in the case of roses and thorns, stars and wishes, you know, um, so it is a, kind of ironic that in order to initiate that, you might have to be uncomfortable like, with, right. the, with being <laughs> the one person to say something, but you're right. taking one for the team. And there's time I've been, <laughs> I've been running games forever, obviously. And then I've just recently within probably within the last couple of years been doing regular roses and thorns and sometimes at the end of a session it's still a little awkward to ask for roses and thorns from players or it's hard to get the momentum going sometimes it's as easy as being like all right and we're done for tonight roses and thorns who's got them and sometimes 
ends on some kind of like really dramatic or maybe even a dour note. Sometimes you try to avoid that, but it doesn't always happen. So after afterwards, you're kind of like, all right, who's anybody got anything to say? <laughs> uh, Hope you're all satisfied. But, right. <laughs> but it's good asking those kind of things because after that, people are like, oh, actually, yeah, even though it ended on a sour note for whatever reason, not now that nobody was having fun, but a sad beat in the story or something like that. People are still like, you know what? I really liked this part of the game. I really liked this thing we did earlier or whatever it is. So, yeah, I think, again, just about taking that first step. I think that's really what it all comes down to. Yeah, and it is it is something that you can turn into a habit. Speaking of our Monster Hearts game, we do our next time on Monster Hearts, which is not exactly a safety tool. But (laughs) after we do that, that, that creates this epilogue, if you will. And then we sort of do an informal Roses and Thorns after that, where we just talk a little bit. There's usually a few minutes at least devoted to just talking about the session. And especially if it was a particularly good one, usually there's some praise that gets thrown around. And, oh, my favorite part was this or that or whatever, which is a, it's a star, but perhaps not a wish. So we just do right. stars. We do stars. <laughs> stars only. Stars only, but that's that is a way of reinforcing. That's what do they call that positive reinforcement, where you're saying like more of this, like that 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 was really cool to me. You're implying I'd see more of that. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I hope that I hope that punctuates your point, Rainy. Thanks a lot for calling in. Yeah, absolutely. From beyond. And from beyond. And in the perspective of someone who is a teacher or other folks who know about that kind of like communication, theories of communication, we're just two idiots just rambling about things. We don't necessarily have an (laughs) academic... (laughs) You agreed very quickly there. We don't necessarily have any (laughs) like training in this sort of thing. I took a public speaking course in college 20 plus years ago. Apart from that... I don't have a whole lot. So really appreciate those like additional nuances that folks can throw on there because we cannot be all things to all people. And as we said at the beginning of the show, this is a conversational podcast. This is not a you just sit here and listen to us talk podcast. Again, (laughs) we're just going to keep saying this stuff until you all start calling in more or writing. That's right. It's also fine. You don't have to call in if you don't want to, but you know, we love to hear from folks. Yeah, absolutely. And you can always hop in the Discord. You can always hop in the Discord, chat up, whatever you want to say, and we'll listen to it. Or obviously be chill. Don't make us take it down. Or you could send us a message on our Patreon, (laughs) whatever you want to do. Yeah, we had a great conversation, actually, after our part one historical or historical part one of our how to get into (laughs) wargaming episode came out and we talked about historical wargaming in the Discord in terms of its suitability as a teaching tool and why Wargaming itself isn't really a teaching tool, but it inspires opportunities to learn more beyond the game itself, which is a really interesting nuanced discussion. So if folks want to get in on that, you don't necessarily feel like talking to us directly. We have some really cool folks on our Discord already. Come join our Discord and talk about our topics there. We love that. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of topics... (laughs) <laughs> oh, that for a segue. 
So we're doing another system spotlight today. Ooh, yes. <laughs> yes, David, we are. And it's a game I don't know a whole lot about. So I'm gonna be I'm gonna be the audience surrogate, and I'm going to Ooh. be asking you, Kenny, about Warhammer colon Age of Sigmar fantasy roleplay colon Age of Sigmar Soulbound. Soulbound. Yeah. <laughs> Exclamation point. Exclamation point. <laughs> <laughs> Register trade. Yeah, registered trademark. Do we want to yeah, talk about this gonna... title at all? Are we going to start with the title? <laughs> <laughs> we'll get there in Why my so in-depth analysis. Okay. I know. So yeah, in our system spotlights, and it, listener, you picked a good episode to listen to because we're obviously we're trying a lot of new things out this episode. And we got the new intro at the top of the episode, which we'll be working on and all that kind of stuff. But we're also going to be trying to be more structured in our conversations. And I hope that this comes across and if this is something that you like if you think we're doing a better job or a worse job at it or if something sounds weird just let us know leave a review hop in the discord blah 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 blah. blah. yeah we're figuring this out as we go along in case that wasn't blindingly obvious (laughs) right (laughs) 10 episodes in yeah we're just we're learning to walk we're still learning to walk david we're talking about soulbound Yes, Age of Warhammer, Age of Sigmar, Roleplay, Soulbound. Okay. <laughs> the full title. Got it. So what, so what is this? it? All right. What is Soulbound? Yeah, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you read I'm gonna let you lead this conversation. Okay. okay. So, so yeah, so the first question we're gonna try and ask in our system spotlights going forward is what is this game? And sub question, follow-up question, what is the concept and core activity? And actually before I throw it over to you, I'm gonna just talk about core activity really quick here just for future yes. reference. The core activity, this is an idea that comes out of game design of the last 20 years or so, like the indie RPG movement, I think originally conceptualized this. It's that every, the test of a role-playing game, but I think also a war game, frankly, is that it should have a core activity that you can easily sum up. So I'll use Pendragon as an example. In Pendragon, the core activity is acquiring glory. Done. In Call of Cthulhu, the core activity is investigating the mythos. Done. You know what I mean? So, like, that's what that's what a core activity is. It should be very pithy, very easy to sum up. One of my issues with D&D is that it's very hard to define what the core activity of D&D is because there's five mm-hmm. different ones to choose from, and everyone right. seems to have a different answer. So, does Soulbound have a core activity that you can sum up easily? I think that's a good, A, that's a great question. Not a good question. A great question. Thank you. I would say, okay, so we'll open this up because the core activity, this is a newer concept to me. So I am the knave. (laughs) Maybe not the knave, but the amateur. The amateur. So yeah, what is the core mechanic of this game? So would you tie that into, is this what the game rewards you to do? Yes. Okay. So in in that case, I would say, and this is going to sound super generic, but the core mechanic of the or the core activity of the game, I guess, mm-hmm. would be straight up achieving your goals. Period. And that sounds very nebulous and weird. Sure. But uh, but writing down specific goals is actually a part of your character creation. Okay. Yeah. So you get to. It's very much. And I'll probably touch on this a few times, but 
to me, Soulbound is what D&D wants to be. Spicy. Yeah. So for me, and I'll probably read a little bit from the book here and there, some select quotes I have written down. But you achieve experience points in Soulbound by uh, completing your goals. So you get short-term goals and you've got long-term goals. Short-term goals are probably something like, the book has a few examples here, find some Urgold to replenish my runes. That's like a dwarf thing. Repair my mentor mentor's pistol. Look up an old friend and kill them. That's a short-term goal. Oh, okay. You, yeah. Your long-term <laughs> goals are going to be like, let me think here. Oh, re- for a Stormcast character, it might be like remembering who I was before I was reforged. So when a Stormcast character dies, they get reforged. So they reincarnated. And if you get reincarnated too many times, you start to lose the memories of your former life. Yeah. So remembering, that's a long-term goal. And that's and you get experience points for that. So these things are integral to your character and who they are and their personal goals while you're out doing your mythic folklore kind of stuff. And we'll get into that. Yeah. So, well, in fact, we can get into right now. So, like, what is what is the concept of Soulbound? What what makes the game Soulbound, basically? So, Soulbound is actually, <laughs> actually, <laughs> actually, uh, <laughs> uh, actually, the Soul <laughs> Soulbound is not just a clever name for the game for Age of Sigmar colon Warhammer colon Roleplay. Uh, Soulbound. It is the name of the party that the player characters are a part of. So the concept of the Soulbound character or party are all of the player characters are the denizens of the mortal realms. So if you're not familiar with Warhammer, this is something like a, a Stormcast Eternal, a Sylvaneth, Dryad. These are all very trademark terms that you can you'll find pictures and stuff like that if you want them come join us in the discord and i'll yab your ear off all about you so you're taking all your favorite models from warhammer basically all your favorite models from warhammer age of sigmar you're taking those one that one model that you love that's your new player character and no matter what you are typically it's broken down into I guess I would say Grand Alliance, but it's like the four. Oh my god, we're getting into the deep territory. How do you explain Warhammer without ex- without diving into the cosmology of Warhammer? We, it's enough to say that there are different factions in this world, there. and it is a very mythic world in that yes. it is all these different sort of like planes of existence. If you're coming from a D&D perspective there, where there's like the fire realm and the death realm and the beast realm mm-hmm. and so forth. And there are these poor schlub humans who are scattered throughout all of them who are trying to yes. cope with living in this <laughs> terrible, very inimical to human life existence, I think. Yes. So they need protecting, right? They need right. they need heroes to, to protect them. You're good at this. You should, you don't want to flip roles here? I can talk about the mortal realms because I've done my lore dives on Age of Sigmar. Where I'll be asking more questions is when we get into the nitty-gritty about it. But yeah, so I guess, yeah, 
what it sounds like to me. So if drilling down through an Age of Sigmar level experience of Warhammer Fantasy, where you were controlling a little band or whatever, a little army, yes. if you will, and you're just saying, it's almost like recreating where role-playing games came from, which is, what if I just play this one guy on the table? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a great way to, a great way to look at it. Uh-huh. So you mentioned the four factions earlier. So uh-huh. there's order, death, destruction, and chaos. Those are the four factions. So in core rulebook, Soulbound, everyone is from the order faction. That doesn't mean you're the good guys. But it does mean that the Order faction is typically okay with things like establishing cities, protecting human life, or elven life, or dwarven life, life. mortal life, exactly. And you're not subject to the machinations of the gods of chaos and death and destruction. You're instead yeah. subject to the machinations of the gods of order. So every, uh, everyone's which, a puppet on some level, is what you're saying. Yes, everybody's a puppet on some level. Order is probably more what, and I'll again, I'm going to probably draw a lot of analogies from D&D here. So order is probably what most... D&D players would just be like, oh yeah, my character is some form of lawful or chaotic good. So mm. have some kind of investment in protecting the mortal life, like you said. So the Soulbound are basically these people, these denizens of the mortal realm, who are all linked together through their very souls. And there's some benefits to this, which is things like never aging and what else? Oh, your wounds heal quicker. Little stuff like that. You become superheroes, basically, which is what you would expect in a high fantasy role-playing game. Yeah, that, that doesn't surprise me because one of the things that I think makes the Mortal Realm setting so cool is that it really does dial everything up. It is not trying yes. to be like keeping one foot in the sort of Ren fair, whatever right. kind of <laughs> very milk toast, seen it a thousand times, Tolkien knockoff. And getting back to one of our earliest episodes where we talked about Tolkien as a world builder and how many people just straight up copied his template. What I like about mm-hmm. Mortal Realms is that it actually says, you know what, let's just put that template aside. Yes, we have pointy-eared forest dwellers and grumpy bearded short people but nevertheless we're gonna take that it's it i put the moral realms in the same category as i would Florent, right where it's right taking some tropes and really just turning them 180 sometimes or just doing really interesting things with these concepts and then using that as your jumping off point where you go even wilder from there yeah it gets super bonkers what's great about the mortal realms like you said it's just Everything is ramped up to 11. So what is what is the group? What are the soul bound? It's your party. And okay. you are all linked together until one of until you die. You are linked together with these people okay. for good or ill. And it even says you may not get along with them. You may disagree with them on some fundamental levels. But for whatever reason, and there's a whole session zero like what god crafted your binding is what it's called so you are yeah like whatever god of order for the core rule book i'm just going to focus on order in the core rule book because subsequent books have given you access to death and destruction and we're waiting on chaos but Mm. we're gonna order is the default for now okay so 
yeah, whatever God you guys are bound together by, they have some kind of machinations for you. You've been bound together to complete a specific task. However, uh-huh. that task may have been something you've already completed before you even start playing the game and you're still soul bound. Yeah. So the binding never escapes you. The binding never leaves until you're dead, until you die. Yeah, yeah. Which is interesting because then that contrasts with the, you know, that, okay, so that brings us back to core activity. So hearing that, I would, like my interpretation, and there's no right answer when you're talking about core activity, Mm -hmm. but my interpretation of core activity is doing the will of the God that has soul bound you. Maybe is how I would sum that up. But I'm glad you talked about goals because that is super fascinating because obviously that's built in to create friction within the group. So everyone has this mutual task that they're trying to accomplish. But in the meantime, yeah, if you're a dwarf, you're trying to recharge your runes with this Urgold or whatever, and et cetera. So you're also going to be on the lookout for opportunities to fulfill your goals, which is very cool. Right. I like that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's the answer to the age-old question for role players out there who, mm-hmm. that are like, why should I care? Yes. Who Like, why should I work with these people? If you read one of my favorite Black Library or Warhammer novels is mm-hmm. called Dark Harvest. And Dark Harvest is a very kind of pulpy, um, like, private investigator type novel Mm. uh gumshoe is the word i'm looking for very gumshoe because the protagonist is just like this guy who's like trying to solve a mystery but he encounters all these sylvaneth which are these dryads or tree elves basically like literal tree people and the dryads are terrifying they're presented in a horror like through the lens of horror They show up, they're terrifying, they torment the main protagonist. They're something that, like, the denizens of the mortal realm void or leave sacrifices to. It's super creepy and super wild. But in Soulbound, you can be just a normal, kind of a normal guy, I guess, like a mortal of the mortal realms. And you can also have a dryad on your team. And you can interpret that however you like, but you're forced to work together basically because some god has deemed you and them as uh, appropriate for the task so then there's like you know why on earth did this god put us together so that's a fun element too i would think in terms of definitely yeah and you generate that in character creation you know the answer (laughs) (laughs) nice so how do the mechanics work exactly? We've got the goals, we're talking about the goals, but is it like a D10 system? Is it a D20, D7, D24? What are we talking about here? You might be surprised, a Warhammer game, it's a D6 pool game. So this is- You know, you, is... you, you say that sarcastically, but like the very first types of Warhammer RPGs were percentile based. They were basically That's right. role-playing knockoffs. So glad to <laughs> right. see they've- Glad to see they've rationalized their mechanics down to one approach. That's good. They really did. And it's very interesting. So I'm not going to be the, I'm not, even though I do really love Soulbound, I think it's a cool yeah. game. Yeah. I'm going to try to be somewhat impartial to it. I don't think everything they do is dope. 
I don't think everything they do is intuitive or maybe even a good decision. This is one of those. So when we get into the core mechanics of the game, it's something that I'm just, I know why you did it, but I can see how you were trying to rationalize it. Like a little bit of the, you can see the strings of the puppet. So the core mechanic of the game is very similar to other role-playing games. You have an attribute and a skill, right? Those two numbers combined tell you how many dice you collect and you roll. Because you're playing Warhammer. One of the one of the key things that everybody loves about Warhammer is you're picking up a bucket of dice, you're shaking them, you're rolling them all at once, and you're look you're going to pick out all the successes. So in Soulbound, there are uh what what is the words here? There's a difficulty. and a complexity rating for every yeah for every skill test okay there's difficulty and a complexity and it's written much like the title as for example three colon one okay so if you see that number if you see the complexity here or the difficulty and the complexity three colon one it means that you are looking for one result of a three or higher. Three out of all, out of all the three. dice that you roll. Yeah. So you're yeah. probably rolling somewhere around, somewhere between three to ten dice. Ten being oh, like wow. a super high, crazy maximum. But on average, probably somewhere around four to six. An easy task. And they have this big matrix that tells you like the difficulty by the dice pool. So it's got how many dice are you rolling as a top? The side column is the difficulty number. Three, one is the bottom. And six, four is the top. And then is this huge matrix on what's very easy, what's average, what's easy, what's hard, and what's very hard. So it's really interesting to look at this and be like, because there's no immediate pattern. Okay. Oh, interesting. All right. Yeah, really weird. Does it make sense? I guess. I can see why that there's... I can see why there's difficulty and complexity. Obviously, like, you want to have difficult things happen. Yeah. Because you're running a game. Some things are harder than other things. Yeah. The complexity is, oh, if you're picking a lock and it's going to take several turns or something like that, then they're like, oh, it's a higher complexity because it's a mechanical device or it's a special kind of spell that you're trying to recite or something like that. I do so like you get that. These, yeah. It's, yeah. Like tune things. Yes. There's a lot of dials here. And it's, yeah. I agree. You can tweak the dials, but it's... I don't know. I get, looking at the, the matrix, I think it's a little more interesting or it, it's easier to parse out what's easier and what's harder. But it's, is there really much of a difference between being like, oh, it's a 5-1 versus a 4-1. Right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or even a... Right. Yeah, exactly. So, it, yeah, it's very interesting. To say the least. It's a very, like I said, it doesn't look like there's any discernible patterns or anything happening here. It's not like a bell curve or anything weird. But it's designed to make it feel like you're playing Warhammer. Because in Warhammer, you're picking up 10 dice, you're rolling them all, and you're looking for every result that's a 4, 5, or 6, or a 5 or 6, or whatever the difficulty is for that typical encounter. 
Yeah, this is really interesting. And this does address criticism I've seen of dice pool systems, which is that it is very difficult to judge off and how to set the difficulty of something. So, mm-hmm. for example, yeah. I read a lot of Vampire the Masquerade and the World of Darkness Storyteller System, as it's called, is a dice pool system. It uses D10s and it's a similar situation here where basically you are telling the player what the target number is. So, you, you know, target number seven or whatever. And sometimes it's sufficient to just roll one success, but other times you do need to score multiple successes or multiple success getting multiple successes means you succeed better so like in combat for example just getting one success means you've just barely landed a blow but if you get five successes that's a really hard hit that kind of thing Mm -hmm. right and i have to say as a storyteller it is Mm -hmm. hard to sometimes like you really do have to just run the game in order to get an idea of where to set those numbers and the game does provide guidance in terms of you know difficulty six is the default difficulty seven is uh challenging difficulty eight is very hard that sort of thing difficulty five is easy Mm -hmm. and then the rules oftentimes will tell you how many successes you need so that's helpful but i do really like this sort of thing where because this allows the gm does the gm have a special name in soul mound are they the soul guide (laughs) <laughs> I think you're just the GM. I think okay, you're just good. the GM. <laughs> so this allows the GM to make some rulings on the fly. I, I could see just kind of having this taped up on my GM screen all the time or on my computer monitor, as it were, just so I could eyeball it and get an idea of how to how to make a table ruling. I think that's... Yeah. I think most... I, it would be great if most dice pool games had something like this, honestly. Yes. And... I'm actually reminded because I run so many Year Zero games. There's always a chart in the Year Zero game where it tells you mm. your likelihood of rolling a six mm. based on how much, how many dice you have in your dice pool, and if you push a roll. So if you re-roll all your dice, if so, if you fail and then you push, it tells yeah. you the likelihood that you're going to succeed on a push. Oh, that's great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously not something you can do here because your yeah. difficulty and complexity is changing based on whatever it is. But yeah, it's think... good to have this visual just to look at and be Absolutely, like, yeah. oh, this is a hard task. And so I'm looking for everything that's hard. And somebody right. might be like, oh, I only have 3D6 here, whatever. It's easy to look at and judge on Who's going to be maybe the best candidate? Maybe this is something you hand your players and you're like, yeah, figure it out. If I like, here's your difficulty dice pool matrix. I'm going to tell you this is a hard thing or give you the numbers or whatever. And you guys can look it over and that maybe gives you a cue to being like, oh, let's have the, let's have the Kurnoth hunter do that because they've got all these skill points and blah, 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 blah. So you're looking for the mechanical to reinforce the in-game role play. That's what I'm... And what that kind of prevents, for me, what I'm always... What I hate, this is one of the the things that I don't like at a table all the time, is skill dogpiling. When I ask one person... You ask one person to make a perception roll or whatever it is, and then everybody else wants to make a perception roll, and it's no. No. (laughs) 
<laughs> no. Just the one person make this roll. There's no yeah. need for everyone to try to be fumbling with the same thing. But then letting that inform the narrative. Like, why is the Kurnoth hunter doing this? Is it because they're nine feet tall? Is it because they have a giant great sword? Is it because they're made out of tree bark? So you can let that thing inform the narrative. I think that's like my big point there. Yeah. No, I can totally see that. That's I personally I think every RPG that is not intuitive in terms of its success failure mechanics. So like if you're on a percentile system or even a linear D20 system, that's okay. You don't really have to show any charts or bell curves or anything in your game. <laughs> right. But I think beyond that, for example, with Monster Hearts, I had to go and Google search to find some math nerd who had done an analysis of how powered by the apocalypse mechanics work with that 2d6 curve and how much it changes to have a plus one versus a plus zero versus a minus one and translate that into percentage chances and that really helped me to play the game better GURPS was just on a 3d6 system somewhere in there they show the differences on a 3d6 dull curve which are very interesting because a shift of one point depending on where you are in the curve could have almost no effect of your chances or could have a massive effect of your chances, like a 20% difference. So these things are important. And we were joking the other day, there was a thing going around about, do you hate math? Do you like dragons? Well, <laughs> you know, do I, have, right. do I have the hobby for you? Like, just because <laughs> we all like role-playing games doesn't necessarily mean we understand probabilities. And so I think right. something like this is just really helpful. Are there any other mechanics in the game that you particularly like? Or that you're like, oh, you guys got to check this out. This is the cool thing. Oh, dude, I got a list of them. And I told you, <laughs> I said a minute ago, I wasn't going to be, I wasn't going to try to be the hype man, but I do really like Soulbound and I think it has some really awesome yeah. stuff in it. Yeah. Another thing that it has that I think is really interesting and we'll, I'll have to put screenshots of these tables maybe in the Discord. Sure. We have sure. a whole channel in there that's show notes. So... Mm-hmm. People can just go through and look for this specific episode that they're listening to, which I think is helpful. Yeah. But there's this, I guess I would call it a mechanic. It is called the ladder. And the ladder tells you, I'm going to post it again. The ladder tells you how good you are at a specific thing. Yeah, you calculate these things. It's very interesting the way that this works. So you calculate these numbers... These are not your skills. These are things like combat abilities, specifically combat abilities. So you're looking at things like your melee, your ranged, and your defense. Those are your combat abilities, right? And so and they, <laughs> it's, they have numbers attached to them, but those numbers are equivalent to a rating, which is poor, average, good, great, superb, and extraordinary. And it has a little explanation on what these words might mean. So when you attack somebody, which I think this is really interesting. So when you attack somebody, say you're in combat, David, you're playing the Sylvaneth Kurnoth Hunter with a great sword. And you're face to face with 30 Ungors, Goatmen, Beasts of Chaos. Because that's the kind of encounter they encourage you to build in Soulbound, which is really out of my wheelhouse typically yeah but so you might have great melee and all these ungors all these opponents might have poor defense comparing those two results those two words basically 
tells you what the target number for your attack is. Oh. So, yeah. Okay. So it's not like an, it's an armor class, but it's based completely on how good you are at fighting and how good they are at defending. Those two results compared will result in a difficulty for your die roll, which I think is really interesting and in the spirit of Warhammer. Because in Warhammer, you would have you're hitting on threes, wounding on fours, and their save is a five up, and boom, you go through the steps and you do all this. In order to really simplify that, I think the latter really did a great job of kind of wrapping it all up into one roll. I think that's just a great way to do it. That's very cool. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, and then I could, like I said, I could go on and on about this stuff, but I'm not gonna. And I'll let I'll let the listeners decide if this is something they want to pick up on. Yeah, I don't want to spoil everything because there's some really great <laughs> stuff in here. And I will say this too. If you are like David, I remember when you were just thinking about getting into Age of Sigmar and you wanted like the lore breakdown. Mm -hmm. This is the place to get it. The Soulbound books have these really great, concise uh, chapters and like snippets of what is going on in the mortal realms because there's all mm -hmm. these different ages the Age of Myth, the Age of Chaos, the Age of Sigmar, and blah, blah, blah. But Man, if you're looking for just like a breakdown on kind of the major players, different factions, the realms where all this stuff is happening, it's all in here. The, even the gods and the religion and all that stuff. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, in in a place that if you want to get a really good idea of what's going on, the Soulbound book is a great place to get it because otherwise you're going to have to collect a hundred different battle tomes, the core rules for Age of Sigmar, which is like 200 pages of lore. Nobody has time for that, man. No, ain't nobody got time. Nobody got time. Um, so I, but I do want to call yeah. out a couple things yes. real quick. Okay. Yeah. The other two things that I wanted to give a big shout out to is that one, there is a miscast table for your magic spells which I love. Always fun. Um, yeah. Always a good yes, time. Always fun. And the miscast can be like as minor as oh, they call it the price of failure, which I love. <laughs> <laughs> so the, yeah. So the first could be, and you really have to screw up to get these to go off. And not every <laughs> spell, not every spell can yield the same results. So the okay. more powerful the spell, the worse things can get. Yeah. So if you're casting a pretty low level spell and you screw up, you might just suffer a D6 damage. No big deal, whatever. But if you're trying to do something real crazy and you screw up real bad, you could summon a predatory endless spell. So like something like a purple sun of Shaiish that just oh. runs around the battlefield and blasts anything and everything. Yeah, it, and everything in between. Yeah, so that's quite, quite a bit of fun. And then the final thing that I wanted to call out is probably one of my favorite mechanics that I've seen in any game. And it is called the last stand. So this is happening as you, it's literally your last stand. Like everything has gone wrong. You've right. failed all your death tests. You're on the ground. Your last stand is you have to declare it. You're like, all right, 
I'm doing it. This is my last stand. And this is exactly how I like to play my characters. I want them all typically to die in some outrageous fashion and be a hero and everybody remembers it. Yeah. Instead of just living forever in misery and whatever. So so the last stand, you declare that you're making a last stand and you do it before you're making a death test. So you don't know if you're going to live or die. You're just like, I'm doing it. All right. Last yeah. stand. Yeah. You lose any conditions that you have, including stunned or poisoned or whatever, any condition. Everything is... All of your like in-game meta currencies refill to their maximum. You're immune to all damage, <laughs> including wow. in yeah, <laughs> including environmental effects and hazards, which are a big thing in Soulbound. And you get better at fighting and shooting by one step. So we talked about the latter. So if you're great at fighting, you become superb. Wow. And finally. Your damage just ignores all armor. So it just cuts straight through damage. So you become like this living god. <laughs> you get one last turn to pull out all the stops. And then after that, your character dies. Period. Wow. 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 Yeah. That's awesome. I love mechanics like that. They're great. I do too. I do too. Yeah. Every game should have a mechanic like that. Because players like me live for it <laughs> like everything like like i'm like oh dude like i'm down to i'm i'm unconscious you know i'm or well you know when you reach zero endurance or whatever in soulbound you become stunned you can't really do much you're fighting making those death tests to make sure you don't die okay so, so oh man i'm stunned the whole party is like getting beat the hell up i'm the first one to go down it's not yeah. looking good. Yeah. It's time, dude. La I'm in a last stand. You guys run. And, and then I get up. I put yeah. everything I can into whatever bloodthirster or great unclean one, whatever giant chaos demon I'm standing up against. I last stand the shit out of them, explode when I die, and the rest of the party flees to recoup and figure out <laughs> whatever else happens after that those are the moments yeah. in tabletop gaming that i live for you know? yeah absolutely absolutely that's super cool i love that so that's what the those are the big i think those are the big mechanical things that i wanted to oh you know what I, one more thing i guess what i really actually quite like about soulbound is that in the back of the book they have all these optional rules that let you tweak the game to better suit your playstyle. so there's a there's like a grim and perilous mode is what they call it which makes your heroes a little less outrageous things like metal m-e-t-l-e that yeah. typically refill automatically whenever you do a rest or something like that they don't refill they you have you have to like do some crazy heroic action to get them back right so it's a right. it's just like playing on hard mode which i really like to do in my games as well <laughs> <laughs> that's super cool i love that yeah okay so if somebody wants to get into soulbound or is there a starter set what's the best pathway to that yes david i'm glad you asked <laughs> There is a starter set, and it's great. It has the core rules, everything you need to know to get started, probably some abridged. You get a 48-page adventure called Faltering Light, which is pretty good. You get a 
bright a city guide for bright spear which is one of the cities in age of sigmar so you get a whole campaign setting and it's 60 pages you get a whole introduction into the world of age of sigmar which would be if i had the opportunity to start with that before getting into the war game i would be so psyched yeah then you get a bunch of pre-generated like gatefold character sheets which are always fun rules references some dice some token and some maps of bright spear and i think like the area around it so yeah and I, it's 30 bucks bad not bad at all yeah. not yeah. bad at all <laughs> yeah so i definitely recommend yeah it. definitely i and i was thinking the same thing actually is that we were talking about age of sigmar and our how to get into wargaming series right our two-part series and i don't know i feel like if you're into rpgs you like the aesthetic of the mortal realms you like this age of sigmar art that you're seeing you like the miniatures you're seeing and you're thinking about getting into the game it seems like the smart bet is to get soulbound first get the starter set pick up some miniatures to go with your player characters and their foes and stuff so you're getting a little collection going you're learning the lore and the dice mechanic is different but you're still rolling bucket fulls of d6s so at least you're doing that and so then if you're really getting into it you can go out and get age sleepwalker too get some more minutes right yeah it's a great way to do it or if you're coming in the opposite way let's say you have mm-hmm. a big collection right now mm-hmm. of age of sigmar models grab mm-hmm. the role-playing game and then all of a sudden you've got your buddy's got his character on overlords model that he's using for his buddy mm-hmm. another guy's using his david's bringing his kernoth hunter to the table and i've got a huge collection of beasts of chaos guess what you guys are fighting you know yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gee, I wonder if this is going to be set in the beast realm. Right. <laughs> and it's great, too, because it really gives you the, the man. I saw a picture on Twitter the other day that somebody was playing Soulbound mm. and or no, they were playing Warcry, but they were mm. using their Soulbound characters. And so they had the skirmish table going with all the war cry terrain all the age of sigmar war cry terrain wow and all the other players because one guy couldn't make it they were like oh we should just do like a war cry game mm. where we use all of our soulbound characters and so they were all playing war cry with their soulbound party And they had, yeah, a bunch of cool terrain and everybody was from different ancestries, which is the term that they use in the book. And they had a big Caradron overlord ship that their party was like using to fly around on. It was cool, man. It was awesome. That does sound cool. Yeah. Love it. Well, I think that that answers all my questions. So I think if other folks have questions as well, they can definitely let us yes. know. Also, if there are any Soulbound players out there who want mm. to chime in, love to hear from you. I know, Kenny, you haven't had a chance to run a whole lot of Soulbound. No. And of course, I have no experience with it. So if there are folks out there with Soulbound's your go-to game, I'd be fascinated to hear your thoughts. Yes, I would too. I really want to know. I want to link up with more people who are running Soulbound. So mm-hmm. hit us up for sure. And it seems to be fairly popular. It yeah. definitely gets a yeah, lot of chatter really like online. It. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Is that it? Are we Have we system uh, spotlighted Soulbound? I mean, this could go on forever, but I think this is a good... <laughs> 
I think this is a good way to leave it off. I think this is a good spot to leave it off because I will, you know how I get. Everybody knows. Once I get going, it's hard for me to stop. I have potentially a controversial suggestion for our next topic then. Oh. And I, and I say controversial only because I'm trying to pique everyone's interest. No. <laughs> I, Can you get the likes? I, that's right. I feel like we've been touching on this the last few episodes, actually. We've been talking about one of the greatest barriers to getting into a lot of games, especially these days, is the jargon of lore. Which in and of itself sounds like a cool character name. I am Jargon of Lore. (laughs) But nevertheless, (laughs) we've been talking about doing an episode on Lore Bloat, which as far as I know is a term that we have coined on this show. That's right. And that is specifically to talk about um, how lore tends to metastasize and become its own thing to the point where you do have 200 pages of it in what should be a... 42 page rule book or whatever do we want to tackle lore bloat in our next episode is what i'm asking oh, i think we definitely do because i have a lot to i have a lot you could have guessed i have a lot to say about that <laughs> <laughs> i think and i think some of it is good and i think some of it is bad so yeah. i guess we'll see through the through our conversation next time on uh, where we end up with that I can't wait to talk about it because I have thoughts as well. Thank you, David, for this very introductory kind of thousand foot overview into yes. Warhammer colon Age of Sigmar roleplay Soulbound from Cubicle 7. I'm looking forward yes. to, to a chance to play it at some point. Ooh, we'll ru- I'll run it. I'll run it. I would love. To, I actually have an idea for a duet Soulbound oh. game where the soul player is the last living member of a binding. Ooh, now you're talking. Yeah, talk about some dark, get some grim dark vibes going. Excellent. So, and like we said at the top of the episode, this is just the this is just the beginning of the conversation. Hop into our Discord, hit us up on Twitter. All those links are in the show notes. Find us on YouTube and all that kind of stuff. If you want to back us, hit it up on Patreon. Gatecrasher pod and uh, let's continue the conversation because obviously this is something that I could talk about forever so <laughs> <laughs> yeah and and we will eventually these conversations okay. never really end so. true true alright thank you guys so much for listening and we'll see